Amen. So, we are, we are going to, I like a responsive congregation. This is going to be, this is going to be a good morning. So, um, I, I haven't preached the last two Sundays. Faith was up last week. Charlotte was up the week before. So, um, I'm going to pick up on the series that I started uh, four weeks ago now. And we are going to, we're continuing our look through the book of Galatians. And the theme is sola gratia, which are probably words you're not familiar with unless you were here those two weeks, which basically means grace alone, grace alone. I was, uh, in, the, in the early 90s, there was a, a Christian singer who was fairly well known, a, a guy by the name of Alvin Slaughter. Some of you remember Alvin Slaughter? Darn, you're old. All right, so Alvin, Alvin Slaughter was very popular on the Christian music scene, and I connected with Alvin Slaughter in the, in probably the mid-90s, when I was very involved with a homeless ministry that worked with the, in New York City, and Alvin was very interested, and we're talking on the phone one day, and he said, well, let's get together and talk about it. Why don't you come over to my place? And, and I don't know where the guy lives, you know? I said, sure, where'd you live? And he said, Orange County. I've got no idea where Orange County is. I've been on Long Island for 30 years, but if I'm going to leave the island, I try to fly. No, really, really. Who wants to go across the Cross Bronx Expressway? Nobody. Nobody. No mortal ever wants to go on the George Washington Bridge. Let's tell the truth, right? You do it because you've got to do it. So Alvin says, why don't you come? And he threw a few dates at me and they didn't work for me um, to go over. And he said, come over, have dinner with us and hang out. And they didn't work. And he said, well, what about lunch? I said, that's fine. So I, I go to his house and uh, have, a, have a really nice time with him and his wife. And he got very involved actually with us. It was really good. And, and you know, like things often do, I stayed longer than I should have because I had an evening appointment. Uh, and so when I left, I was feeling like a bit stressed about time. Now, some of you have got no understanding of this, right? But there was a day when we didn't have phones like this. Okay, some of you got no idea what I'm talking about. You wonder how we survived. Um, miraculously, we did. Why did that turn on? Anyway, so I didn't have Google Maps on a phone. In fact, back then, I didn't. Remember the little TomTom things you stuck on your dashboard and thought you were the coolest driver out, right? Right? And for me, I could hardly see the thing anyway, like it was a liability. So I, you didn't have TomTom, Tom, you didn't have anything. I'd sat down and, and I'd looked on MapQuest, I think, on, online before I went. I wrote down the major routes and it seemed pretty straightforward, but I didn't do it for coming back. And I'm driving, but I'm thinking it's all straightforward. I'll go here, here, and I'm thinking I should have hit, what would have been, Throg's Neck probably, I should have hit the Throg's Neck Bridge by now, but there was no sign of it. And I kept driving and it didn't show up. And then I saw a sign that said Morristown, New Jersey. And I thought, dear God, I don't know where I am and I don't know how to get where I wanna go. I really, I really didn't, I really didn't. And ladies, you know this, I'm a man, right? So, so we're good, we'll figure it out. We don't need to stop and ask for instructions, right? Anyway, long story short, I was very late for my appointment that evening, and I was fried by the time I got there. What stress. 
because somewhere along the line, I took a wrong turn. And I had nothing to guide me and nothing to tell me, hey, you need to turn back here. And that's what's happening in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is, is telling the Christians in the churches in this particular area of Turkey, he is saying to them, you're going on a wrong track. You need to turn back. You're going off on a path that's going to take you in a bad direction. You've got to stop. And he tells that over and over again. And if you were with me those first two Sundays that I um, started this series, you might, you might listen to some of the things I'm going to share today and say, well, that's kind of what he said before. And it is. It is. There is a reason why the Apostle Paul repetitively hammers home this central truth of Galatians that Jesus paid it all. Sola gratia. Grace alone. And one of those, of course, is that often we don't grasp things the first time we hear them. Okay? That would have been a good part for somebody to agree, but I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> All right. Often we don't grasp stuff fully the first time we hear it. Another is that reinforcement is a solid teaching method. Paul had spent years of his life um, in this area establishing churches. Most of them owed their existence to him and his ministry. Most of these believers found Christ through Paul's preaching, but for all of that, now they were going off track. And if that could happen to people who had been born again under the ministry of St. Paul, their church had been established by St. Paul, if that could happen to them, it could happen to us because you know and God knows I'm no St. Paul. It's possible for us to go off course, off track. And the issue here in, in Galatians is that having initially totally trusted Jesus to save them, they were now leaning towards rule-keeping to please God. Specifically there, it was the Jewish law, the Jewish rules and regulations. And you know what? I've seen Christians do the same. Get very what we call legalistic. I've seen churches do the same and go off track. I've heard the way too many preachers threaten listeners that they need to pray more, be more holy, whatever you define that as, be more dedicated to Christ because not everyone who thinks they're going to heaven is actually going to make it. You've got to make sure you're good enough. I hate that stuff. A couple of you just gasped and said, you're not meant to say hate. Yeah, I'm good with that. In the book of Proverbs, it says there are seven things that God hates, and one of them is a lying tongue. I, 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 I hate this stuff, and I, I, I believe God does too, because the fact is this. If, if you have slipped into the thinking that your acceptance by God is in any way, shape, or size dependent upon your performance, then you are actually going down the same wrong road as the Galatian believers. 
So that brings us to Galatians chapter 3. And take a look with me, if you would, at verse 1. You crazy Galatians. I don't think I ever said that to you all, did I? I don't think so. All right, you know, yeah, yeah, it is time. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. He said, listen, something's gone radically wrong here because you're not relying fully on the finished work of Christ. In fact, in the next verse, he continues, let me put this question to you. Here's a good one for all of us today. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? I think I know the answer, right? How did your Christian life begin? How did your faith journey start? Was it by working, we'd probably in New York use a different part of the body than your heads off, but anyway, was it by working your heads off to please God or was it by responding to God's message to you? And we know the answer. We know the answer. Our new life in Christ came simply, solely because we trusted Christ and responded to God's message. So verse 3, are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? There you go. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to start this, it all came as the gift of God. And here's the message of Galatians. It came as the gift of God. It continues as the gift of God. And it will end as the gift of God. And some of you that have spent perhaps a lot of your lifetime under the burdens that were imposed on you of things you got to do to make God accept you, what you need to do is you need to break free from that and just, uh, my prayer today is God will do this for you, is that God will give you some real insight to, the, to His grace and to His goodness and remind you it is all God's doing and none of ours. Righteousness comes through Jesus. It's as simple as that. Righteousness comes through Jesus. And as an example of that, in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul refers back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis, and to Abraham. And, and, and he cites Abraham there. And in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, it says this about Abraham. And he believed, believed God. God declared him set right with God. The moment Abraham believed God, God declared he is now set right with God. That was his condition going forward. That was his state. That wasn't, hey, God's happy with you today. See if you can keep it up tomorrow. It wasn't that. 
The moment he trusted God, he was set right with God. And what the Bible is trying to make sure that all of us grasp is that the moment that we believe, the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we are set right with God done deal. You don't need to look, look, live looking over your shoulder. You don't have to be wondering, am I good enough? Have I done enough? When you believe, you are set right with God. Righteous. Righteous. Galatians 3 here, Paul, Paul uses this incident and he talks about it. And the way he phrases it is this. He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I, I checked my bank account on my app now and again just to see if a miracle happened. And, uh, and I was looking there one morning a couple of weeks ago and I saw there was a totally unexpected, unexplained deposit from Social Security. I was like, praise God, the government wanted to bless me. And, 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 and when I looked at it, you know, the first thing when I saw it was, I wonder what it is. I wonder why it's there. I guess they'll come and take it back. Right? It's like somebody made a mistake somewhere because I've got no idea what it is. And I don't know why I got it, but it's there. And it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I guess that will go back. It was credited to me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. And it's still there, so keep praying. Uh, and that, says Paul, is what God did to Abraham. He believed, God said, righteous. Righteousness was credited to him. He didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. And, and here's the thing. Abraham was still Abraham at that point. He was still, he, like... God said, I'm looking on you as righteous. It doesn't say when he believed God, he became righteous. It says God looked on him as being righteous. And here's the, here's the thing you, you, you really need to grasp here. He was still a man who basically battled with, with, with his own weaknesses, with his own self sinfulness, but God didn't count that anymore. God counted him as righteous. And, and, and here's the huge thing. When we receive Christ as our Savior, God says, righteous. Now, you're not righteous in your own standing. Okay, thank you. Just took a second. <laughs> but having one honest person is good. All right? We're not righteous because we're still, right? We still, we still make the wrong decisions sometimes. We still do the wrong things sometimes. We still get the wrong attitude sometimes. We still sin at times. It's not that I've become righteous, but God looks upon me as righteous, done deal, because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that can't really work. Yes, it does. That's the gospel. That's the grace of God. I believe God says righteous, and it's a done deal. When, when uh, the British education system years ago ran uh, along this way, um, when you came to be in, in like sixth grade, you took a whole series of tests in school. And depending on the result of those tests, you then went on to your next school, which would be the rest of your school career, 
If you did well on the test, you went to a school that focused on academics. If you didn't do so well, you went to a school that focused on practical things. That was it, divided kids up at 11 years of age, right? So most of you who know me know I didn't go to the practical school, right? And that wasn't because I was a genius, it was because I wasn't good enough at practical stuff, right? So I can't knock a nail in straight, so they didn't send me there. So, but 11 years of age. So, so one of the things I'd always wanted as a kid was a bike. Now, I never had a bike. Um, we didn't have a lot. So, I mean, looking back now, I guess we were, you know, we, we, yeah, we were a poor kind of family. At the time, I didn't know because was, that was what I knew. And I'd always wanted a bike, but I never had a bike because my parents couldn't afford to buy me a bike. But when we're leading up to these tests, my mother said to me, if you pass that, we're going to give you a bike. Now, that became my major incentive. I was not concerned at what level my education would continue. All I knew was if I pass this, I'm going to get a bike. And I gave it everything I'd got. And when the results came out and they said, you've passed, for me, it wasn't great. I know I'll go to this school. It was fantastic. I'm going to get a bike. <laughs> and I got the bike because I earned the bike. That was the only way I got it. You don't get eternal life by earning it. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. It's a one-off gift from God. God gives us the gift of eternal life. God declares that we are righteous. You, you, you've, you've really got to make sure you grasp this or else you end up spending the whole of your Christian life with a feeling of inferiority, with an anxiety about, I hope I'm good enough, and you need to recognize the fact that God calls us righteous the moment we believe. When God, when God says we are righteous, it means from now on, He is treating them as if we are actually righteous. We are free from condemnation. And though there is still unrighteousness in our hearts that God is working on and we are working on, that doesn't change what we are in God's sight. And the reason for that is this. When we trust Christ as our Savior, God says, okay, you're righteous. You know why he knows that? He knows how it's going to end. And what he's going to do now, because you're his, is he's going to be helping you and working on you for the rest of your life. Right? Some of you God's still working on? Right? Right? But, but that's what God, but God knows it's going it's, to, he's doing it. He's doing it. He is shaping us. He is molding us. He is perfecting us. And the Bible says, when we see Jesus, we will be like him. So God says righteous here because he knows that the end of the story is righteous. Nothing you can add to that. Nothing you can do to take away from that. When you believe in Christ, you become a child of God. Don't get tied up in, I've got to do these things. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do the other. Don't live under the burden of, am I good enough? Am I godly enough? Abraham did one thing 
right? Genesis, uh, Genesis 15, 6. He believed God. That was it. That was the one thing he did. He believed God and God set him right. That was it. John 1.12 says to, us, to all who believed him, that is Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We believe in Christ. We are children of God. Done deal. Because I believe God calls me righteous. Because, here's the theme of Galatians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Jesus, who was sinless, became sin, and in his becoming sin, we who are sinners can become righteous. There's, a, there's an interesting story in the book of Genesis uh, and, and it's the story, some of you know the, the, the last, uh, however many chapters of the book of Genesis, are the, is the story of the life of Joseph. And uh, there's, there's a point in that story where, where Joseph's father comes to live with him and the family down in Egypt. And Joseph has had children while he's down in Egypt, and he wants his father to bless them. And in Genesis 48, it says this, Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put the left hand on Manasseh's head even though Manasseh was the firstborn. So, so he, here are these two sons, right? So there is Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh being the oldest should have got the biggest blessing. It was how things worked, okay? And the whole picture in those days was this. The right hand was the hand of strength, the right hand was the hand of blessing. So Joseph lines them up, Manasseh underneath his father's right hand, Ephraim, the younger one, underneath his father's left hand. You with me? And he says, will you bless them? So his father comes to bless them and he puts the right hand of power and greatest blessing on Ephraim's head and the left hand on Manasseh's. He switches his hands and blesses the one who shouldn't have got the major blessing. If you picture in your mind as best you can Calvary and Jesus dying there and the Father watching what's going on, and there is the Son of God dying. And there is a sinful world rejecting and crucifying Him. 
And if God was to do something in those moments, it would surely be to use his right hand of power and blessing to reach out to his son. And the left hand he would use to curse his enemies. But you know what happened at Calvary? God crossed his arms. And the hand of blessing came on you and me because he became a curse for us. That's what it says in Galatians 3. He became a curse for us. We should have been cur cursed. Christ should have been freed. But he was cursed. And because of that, we are free. Amen. We are free. Righteousness comes through Jesus. When we believed, God called us blessed. He called us righteous. He called us His. Now, I'm just making up time because I didn't get to preach the last two weeks, so I can take a few minutes, right? I've got a few minutes here, right? So, so here's, here's, here's what we're going to... The next thing I, I, I'm noticing in Galatians 3 is... is, is Reset comes through Jesus. Uh, that's a terrible word to use. I was trying to find one begins with R, and that seemed to fit. It doesn't. Uh, let's use renewal. Renewal comes through Jesus. Okay, so Christ makes us righteous, but Christ also renews us. See, the, the, the whole argument here is that God established way back in Abraham's day how people would enjoy the blessings that he offered. It was very simple. You believe, you're blessed. You believe, you are made righteous. Sola gratia. That was it. That was the fundamental thing. But then there were all these people who were bothering the Galatian church, and some of them were in it and preaching to them and saying, yeah, but once you believe in Jesus, you need to keep the Jewish laws, you need to keep the traditions, and you need to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do the other, and you've got to make sure that you keep the commandments. It's like, don't you have to trust Jesus and then live to please God? And I'll tell you what the answer to that is, yes. And no. Yeah, the no shocked you, right? Yes and no. Galatians 3, verse 17. Here's, here's what it says. He says, what I mean is this. The law, that's the Ten Commandments, introduced 430 years later, after Abraham, that is, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So he's saying, you people are saying, well, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you've got to be good enough and you've got to do that. And, and he says, look, 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 the 10 commandments came 430 years after God established the fact that you're made righteous by faith. And he didn't do away with that truth when the 10 commandments came in. So don't try to reimpose that and say that faith in God alone is not enough. See, the fun fundamental principle is we're set right with God through what Jesus has done. Are, are you okay here? This gets a bit heavy, I know, but are you okay so far? All right? You're, we're set right with God by what Jesus has done and not through anything you have to tack on. Let me say that again. We're set right with God through what Jesus has done, not by anything that you can tack on. 
So actually, the Ten, Com the Ten Commandments can't save us because we can't keep them. Okay, I was hoping we'd increase the number of honest people in here by now. But, <laughs> but we can't. We can't. The Ten Commandments can't save us because we can't keep them. In fact, in Galatians 3.21, it says, the law's purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are in ourselves out of right relationship with God. You look at the Ten Commandments and the wider interpretation of them that Jesus gave when he said, you know, you know what? I know it says don't kill, but if you think badly about somebody you've committed murder in your hearts. If, if you think through that, we, we can't keep them. So here's what it says. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, I didn't say that God's law is irrelevant. I didn't say that Ten Commandments are irrelevant. What I did say is we can't keep all of that to the letter. Is, is that a fair comment? Yes. And, and, and if you think, well, I do, it's like, God bless you. <laughs> Live delusional. So, so I'm, I'm, not saying, see, I'm not saying God's law is, is irrelevant. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Did, some of you have done this in the last few months. You, you, you've, taken, you've taken one of your children off to school, Right? Some of you have done that, and you, you, you drive them wherever they're going to school, and, and, and you, you, know, you, you drop them off, and you set, set them up, and then you get in your car and come home in tears all the way home, right? Some of you know that drill, right? You've, some, some of you have done that. It's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you let your kids go. It's like, you know, I think it was, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough putting them on the bus to go to kindergarten. But when you, gotta, you take them off to college, it's hard because suddenly, suddenly they're out there by themselves. Right? Right? And, and it's like, you know, I, 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 mean, I mean, I remember doing that um, with, with both of our children. I remember when Charlotte went off to school, we, it was about 120 miles from where we were. And uh, she didn't have her own car back then. We took her down and we put her where she was going to be and set her up. And then we, you know, we felt just absolutely awful going home. We're going home without her and, and, and leaving her there. And you're hoping um, and you're praying. And it's like, because, you know, in our house, when you're living under our roof, there are certain things we did and certain ways we did things. And in our house, if you're living under our roof, we go to church on Sundays. And, and trust me, as a, even pastor's kids, you had to impose that sometimes against their will. Uh, but, but, it, but it was, you know, here's what we do in our house. We do this, we do this. We want you to be in by such and such a time at night. We want to know where you're going and who you're going to be. That was the whole thing, right? It's what you do when you're raising teenagers, no? You know, and then you take them to some other city, leave them there, and pray. And then the first weekend, you call them and say, uh, so what'd you do Sunday? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, well, you, I mean, you may say it straight out. Did you go to church? It's like, you know, I, I try to be a little more subtle. And it's like, hey, uh, yeah, I went to that church that you mentioned to me. How was it? It was great. It's like, oh, cool, you know. Because here's the thing. At that stage in their lives, 
you're waiting and you're praying that they'll do the right thing because they want to do it of their own volition. And a lot of their lives, they've had no choice about those things because they've been under your guidance. Right. Now, here's where I'm saying renewal comes from Christ. Do we have to keep all the Ten Commandments? Do we have to work to please God? Yes, we do, and no, we don't. We endeavor to do things that will please God, but we do it of our own volition. Not because I'm trying to earn eternal life. Not because I don't want to fall into the abyss. That's not going to happen if you've trusted Christ. You've got eternal life. But serving God because I want to serve God. So we're not, we're, we're not endeavoring to live right out of obligation. We're not endeavoring to live right because we want to be accepted. We try to follow God's Word because we love God, because we're incredibly grateful to God, and because we want to live lives that reflect the nature of our Father who is in heaven as best we can. We're not doing it because we're looking to be made righteous, but because he has already declared us righteous. We're not trying to do the right thing so we can see if we will be saved. We're doing it because we are saved. Renewal comes through Jesus. We couldn't change our lives by ourselves. But once Christ has made us righteous, he starts to renew us. Let, let me just... Let me just briefly tell you this, about this last thing. And he does it because relationship comes through Jesus. I want you to look at this, Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What a fantastic statement. Not hope to be, not might become, not one day could be. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I read that from the New King James Version, and now some of you uh, here today may, may say, whoa, that's a bit sexist, and you might go over to the NIV, and the NIV puts it this way. The NIV says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And I want to tell you, you know, all you ladies who say that's better, that includes us as well. It's like, don't jump there. Don't jump there. And I'll tell you why you mustn't jump there. Because, because actually, the, the Bible is making a very important point in saying, can we go back to the, the, the New King James one, please, Loretta? In saying you are all sons of God, the Bible is making a very important point. You might remember last week, Faith mentioned to us that in the culture of that day, that women were of no value at all. And they weren't. Women were of no value. Women basically looked after the home, looked after the husbands, looked after the kids. If, 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 if a, you know, a woman could never have any part of a father's inheritance, everything went to the son. The woman had no particular significance, had no particular role. She could be divorced for any reason at any time, and, 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 but the reverse was not true. So women were not really counted as being of much worth in society. So Paul says to men and women in Galatia, you are all sons of God. Do you ladies get that? Do you get that? 
What he's saying is, you've all got a right to the inheritance. You're all of value. You all matter. You are all equally important to the Father. Don't jump to children of God. Everywhere you see the New Testament talks about sons of God. Ladies, celebrate the fact that there was a period when women were counted as nothing, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, every barrier has been broken down, so there is no gender distinction. There is no Sorry, there are two genders. Let's just mention that. All right, that's kind of that's kind of real obvious to anybody with a brain. Uh, but but there's no there's no differentiation based on gender. There is no differentiation based on social standing. There is no differentiation based on education. The fact is this, in Christ Jesus, we are all the sons of God. Amen. We are the sons of God. First John three, verse one. Loretta, I'm jumping back up to a verse I'd skip. 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Listen, what I'm sharing with you today is that in Jesus, an eternal miracle has happened in the life of everyone who believes. I have been made righteous. Jesus is renewing me, and I have the full rights and inheritance of a son of God. What love the Father has bestowed on us. Other translations use the word God has lavished on us. Listen, if you're living wondering if you're good enough, wondering if you're going to make it, wondering if you're going to get God's approval, that's no way to live. The way to live is to live by faith, believing God and having Him declare you righteous. Our salvation is a miracle of the grace of God. And God doesn't need your two cents or mine tacked on. Grace alone is sufficient. His grace has brought us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. Let's pray together.